Hello there, guys, and welcome back to the Powerful Performer podcast. We've got a very special guest on today. This podcast is aimed at high-performing individuals who are looking to elevate their performance, essentially, through their body, mind, and career. And essentially, this guy has done it all. He's um, he's the number one sort of British actor who's gone over to Broadway and done... Um, Book of Mormon as a standby. As far as I know, he's like the only ever British person that's done it. He's the only ever British actor that's come to Book of Mormon in the West End and actually played Elder Price. They normally use Americans and he's the first ever. I think this is right. You may come on in a minute and be like, oh, he's nodding, he's nodding. <laughs> uh, and I'm very excited to welcome uh, Dom Simpson. Dom Simpson. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Onto the, onto the podcast. Welcome on, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm very yeah. well indeed. Yeah, enjoying a bit of a bit of sun. No. Yeah. Is it sweltering in the it is very nice down in London at the minute. Um, not really looking forward to a show tonight in this heat, but I think we've got even more. I think it's going to be 30 degrees on Friday and we have two shows. So is there air really looking theater? forward to that? Yes, there is, but it's such an old theatre that there's certain parts of the show that we can't use the air conditioning because it stops the tech working. <laughs> so Are the shirts see-through. That's what I want to know when you're sweating. It depends how sweaty you get. I think Saturday, I think we'll be pushing it. But uh yeah, it will, it will be a bit of a white shirt contest come Friday night. What are you on? Like two shows Friday now, two shows Saturday. Two shows time? Friday, two Saturday, yeah. So back to back double days. It um it it really does put the workout in. I've I've worked it before with the with the heart rate monitor, and I think I, I run it around 1300 calories a show. And then so you sent me uh, the screenshot. Yeah. 1300 calories it's, it's quite the burn it's quite the burn so yeah sunday will you be uh, whatever you want I, you know what not at the minute i'm actually trying to hit a calorie deficit oh, yeah. i think i'm a fool to be doing that but yeah you do have to feel i use friday and saturday you know split my split my calories out throughout the week and then friday and saturday give myself a bit extra because you yeah, need yeah. it yeah you absolutely do. flipping it you'd be driving yourself <laughs> around oh absolutely so just for your head and everyone's head that's listening my intention for this episode is to sort of get under the surface of what it is to be um, a West End leading man, and for people that who aren't who aren't performers, what it really takes to consistently be, be performing at the top of your game, because essentially you've you've hit the jackpot. You are you know you're a leading man in in my opinion the funniest show ever ever written, uh, and it must take a lot of energy and a lot of focus in order to do that. And I remember when we first met, and I'd also like to talk about like confidence and where that comes from, because when we first met you are naturally a very confident guy. And I don't know if that's, you know, something you put on. Obviously, we all have our insecurities, but I just remember being like, wow, that guy is is very, very confident. And when we met, we were auditioning together, weren't we? I think you knew my sister um, and we kind of connected and we were texting and you were literally getting every single job. I remember we first met in Mamma Mia <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah, Dom's got, Dom got Cover Sky, but he's not taking it. Well, he's not taking it. It's his first audition and he's got a West End gig. Oh yeah, he's got another job as well. Oh no, he's waiting because he's now going to Broadway <laughs> to play the first ever, like the standby, and he's the first ever English person to go over there, which must be mad. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously that's like many years ago. You're, you've been yeah. in the Book of Mormon world ever since you left drama school. Yes, it was a strange time. I have to say, when you, when you talk about the, the jobs that sort of happened straight out of drama school, honestly, it wasn't something that, you know, I wasn't turning jobs down because I thought I was better than them at all. It was very much a... A, a career-wise choice of is that what I want to be doing straight out of drama school you know it was a, a year's contract in the West End and which absolutely I'd have snapped your hand off if you told me at the start of my three years at, at drama school that that would have been in the offer you know I'd, I'd have been a fool not to it, it just so happened there was a couple of other things on the cards you know there was a um, a shorter run at a, a regional theatre which really interested me 
then I ended up getting um, Titanic at the Charing Cross Theatre mm, as well. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, in terms of the timescale of what I want to be doing and sort of building up a CV and, and, and that sort of thing, that just fit the bill better for me. Mm. You know, it was, it was playing a part every night, um, which is what I, you know, I, what I really wanted to do. It was a part yeah. that really interested me. It was quite close to, you know, sort of, it was, you know, a Northern character. And I liked the idea of doing that in Titanic. And then in a really, really, I guess a fortunate but unfortunate event, I actually ended up getting injured um, quite badly. I, I tore my cartilage in my knee whilst we were performing. My drama school were, were invited to, to do the opening number at a, a concert at the RSC. It was, um, I think they call it Shakespeare 400. It was to commemorate 400 years since Shakespeare had died. Um, and they did this concert up at Stratford. And during the dress rehearsal, we were, we were doing the, the opening number. So we were doing a, a, a section of West Side Story for the opening number of this concert. And in the dress rehearsal, I'd literally just really innocuously, I'd knelt down and I snapped the cartilage in my knee. So as soon as that happened, I thought, crap, this is going to be a problem. I was starting rehearsals for Titanic on the Monday. This was on the Thursday. Saw a surgeon on the Friday and he was straight up like, yeah, no, this is, you need surgery on this. You, you're going to be out for a while. There's basically two options with how your surgery can work. You can either have uh, a repair or a removal of the cartilage, which is torn. And you'll probably be out for, we're looking at four or five weeks Wow. So you might be able to get back in for Titanic later down the line in rehearsals. I knew my role in Titanic wasn't going to involve much dancing. There wasn't movement or anything like that. So I could probably or maybe push it and get away with, with starting the run slightly unable to You're move or jump around. Were you like, yeah. did you believe in like, oh, oh something else will come? Like, did you really want to do it? Were you sort of like, shit, uh, my whole world sort of crumbled. Absolutely. At that point, I had nothing else. I had nothing else to, to look forward to. That had been, as I said, I kind of put all my eggs in this basket. There'd been a couple of jobs that I'd turned down as that just weren't quite right for me. And I decided that Titanic was the one I wanted to do. At this point, Mormon wasn't one of those jobs. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll come back to the, the story of Mormon because it is quite an interesting one of how that came around. But um, so as I say, the other option with the surgery was they would repair the cartilage and that would be in long terms, the much safer option. You know what I mean? I'd have a few more years without needing a knee replacement later down the line. Um, but that would be about a seven month recovery. So that was what the, the surgeon said, listen, you're still young. I think I was uh, probably 19, 20 years old at this point. Yeah, yeah. He said, for, for your age, I'm not willing to remove the cartilage if I can repair it. So they repaired it, which meant seven months out, had to call wow. Titanic. And, and thankfully, Daniel Sorrento was incredible with me, the producer on the show. She was so understanding. He said, listen, it's what you need to do for you. We'll be fine. And the show was great. They managed to recast it. Mm. Um, and I saw it in the show. It was fantastic. So they, they certainly didn't miss out. Yeah. Um, but then again, I was, you know, I was then on my, on my sick bed for, for seven months. I had my knee in a brace for three of the months. Couldn't walk for How was for that? Four. Like come out of our It was head, tough. Like known yeah. for, being, for being active, getting all these jobs. Really and something like seven months. I suppose like, look, were you like worried? Were like doubts coming in? Like what if this absolutely sort of rhythm, momentum? Oh no, absolutely. It was, you know what it's like. You, you graduate drama school and that's when you're the hot ticket. That's when people want to see you. That's when you Especially want to get out self. there. Like, I know you won't say yeah. it, but like you were doing really well. Like, I remember we were going up for kinky boots together. Like it was all, yeah. you, I was like, I don't even need to ask if you've got a recall. Like, I know you're going to be the final <laughs> like, And then all of a sudden, seven That was actually later, my was final like, call was actually the day I tore my cartilage. So to, yeah. compound, to compound that, I actually found out later on that day, I was sat in, a, in the hospital and I, I got a call off my agent and said, just to let you know, obviously, don't worry about it today, but King Boots have said it's not it's not going any further. This was after the finals. So I was like, thank you, just what I need. So you've not got Charlie and Kinky Boots, but that's okay because you're out for seven months. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was tough. It really was. I, I think that's where my mindset came into play a lot. I think um, 
as, as you're aware, but some people might not be. My, my dad and my, my family are very much involved in football. I've grown mm-hmm. up in football my whole life. My dad was a professional player, then went into coaching. Um, my eldest brother is a professional referee, so he's very active. Wow. And my, my middle brother, he's, um, I shouldn't say referee, he's, a, he's, a, he's an official, I think is right. the, the, the word we use, rather than just a referee. He actually, he runs the line rather than being in the middle, which I think okay. is safer. Yeah. Um, and then my middle brother, he he played professionally. He was at Blackburn Rovers as a, a youth team player for for two years, then went signed pro at Shrewsbury Town, Stockport County. Um, so I've, I grew up completely in the world of football. Um, so I understand that injuries happen. I understand how much work it takes to to rehab that and the, the sort of the the mindset you have to switch into to recover. Because at that point, that is all that matters. You know, you can't worry about, you know, if you're in a football team, you can't worry about the results because you can't affect them. Mm. Of course, they, they, you still want your team to do well, but you have to just focus on yourself. So I ended up moving back home. At that point, my family were up in Newcastle <clears throat> for a very short period. And so I moved back home, did my rehab so very fortunate with the with the context that I've got in football that I had some fantastic physios to work with. I ended up spending weeks and weeks at St George's Park, which is where England the the FA are all set up in Burton. Did some training there. Since finishing in football, my actual my, my brother Jake actually went into strength and conditioning coaching. He's now a he's the head of sports science um, at Stockport County, and you know very much on the the rehab side. He understood what I needed. I had a lot of a lot of work with those guys and. Um, Yes, my mind just shifted from from wanting to be a successful performer. It became I want to actually be able to walk and run, right? Okay, and be able so to it's squat completely again. Completely like you didn't even yeah. think about that. It was just didn't even cross my main my mind. focus now is to to recover to actually yeah. be able to to, to walk. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the thing I said three months where I physically couldn't walk. I was I was had my knee up in a brace. Um, I was on crutches, and then they the way they do it with a knee recovery, they sort of extend the angle that you can bend your knees slightly, so it starts at about zero degrees for three months then you have 10 degree of movement then you go up to 20 and that sort of thing so I remember I think I was about six months on from my surgery was the first time I'd got a full 90 degree bend in my knee and it was the best day of my life (laughs) you know it was like wow I can't believe it you know I remember it was a sweltering day up in Manchester I was doing some rehab and England were playing that day and I was wearing an England shirt I've got a photo of it and I just remember being so chuffed so I say from your mindset going okay I need to get this job I need to be playing the lead in this show too Mm. I actually just want to be able to walk and and move my body again. Was that a tough transition? Like, was, did you, I mean, I, I basically, I'm saying, did, did you have moments of like negativity, self-doubt? Did you get oh, a bit depressed yeah. or was it, was it different back then? You know? Yeah, no, I, I think there was definitely down days. Listen, I definitely had days where I was sat on the sofa and probably sobbing, thinking I'm never going to be able to do this again. Mm. And I had a great support network around me. I say my family were brilliant. My girlfriend, Sydney was, was there with me the whole way through it. Yes, and it helps, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely does. I was so, so lucky. I had an, an agent. That's a, a you know, a, a point that people might worry about i had an agent mm. who supported me and said listen Amazing. this is fine you're injured that's fine yeah. i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna drop you because you can't work like yeah, yeah. we're gonna this will this will be fine you know you'll I get through that's it another we'll note isn't there. it actually like have, having an agent who actually su- supports you as well you know yeah. rather than it's just in it for that for their own personal gain is absolutely for all no exactly you've got it you've got to feel like you've got people in your corner and that's and that in in life and especially in this industry um you know when you're not injured but when you're injured it really is a massive help to have that support network surrounding you. So that was like the sort of time coming out, like just to kind of like reverse it and rewind. Like what was the early years? You grew up around, around me, didn't you? You grew up up yeah. north. Where, whereabouts exactly? Oh God, how long have we got? So I was, I was born in <laughs> Derbyshire. Yeah. Spent about five or six years down there. Um, and then I'd say with my dad playing football, we basically moved wherever he played. 
Right. So we had a, we had a spell in 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 Blackburn, in Preston, Carlisle, Shrewsbury, Manchester for a while. So when yeah. the when I when I um, so you're used to this acting life, like moving around, like yeah, the, the, very the, much the, so. It being consistently moving. Yeah, I think when you said about before about being this confident person, I think that's because of that. You know, I right. I spent every other year at school, I was the new kid. So I had to be, right. you know, I, I had to be confident enough to go and speak to people, you know, have a smile on my face and go, Hi, I'm Dom, nice right. to meet you, can we be mates sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. you have to just adapt. And I think the thing, and, and, you know, I, I didn't come into theatre seriously until a bit later on in life, but I, I always wanted to do things like theatre and play for the sports teams because it right. was a way to, to get to know people, you know, it was right. a way to, to integrate into groups. And uh, Was it always like... In, in equal passion for you it was always like, for me it, it was definitely football and performing it was like days when I was sometimes yeah. going for like panto rehearsals but no I want to play the cricket final I want to play the football final and, and it was like a, a case of choosing was it like that for you yeah it was and I have to be honest until about 16 theatre wasn't the choice only because I was so so sporty you know yeah. I played no. football every, until about about 14 I was playing football every week and you know, I played at Preston North Ends Academy in, in Carlisle and, and in Blackburn when I was much younger as well. So three times a week I had training with that. Then I started playing rugby at about 14, got serious into that, started playing county rugby. So that then took over because you can't really, you know, be playing a high impact sport like rugby and then going and playing football the next day. So I had to sort of swap it around, playing cricket, tennis, you name it. Like that That's was like just physically was quite life. gifted. Like you obviously got good coordination, just yeah, quite physically I, sort of gifted and active. Yeah, I think so. I was always, I was always very physical. Um, as a kid, it probably helps. I had two older brothers that used to, yeah. you know, batter me around and, yeah. and launch footballs at me on the driveway when I was six year old and whatnot. But you know, I've always, I've always, I, listen. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying I was the best footballer ever was, and I, you know, I, I, the reason I've been performing is because I wasn't good enough to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. There's no two ways about that. Like, you know, I can make reasons up and this and that, and I know there's so many stories of people who have had been so close to that sort of this you know this sort of the precipice of professional football and something's held them back with me I don't have a story like that I I went on trial at Stockport County when I was 16 for a youth for a youth team contract and got told I wasn't good enough yeah and that's same with me fair with enough you know it was like okay and at that point my brother actually played for the first team at Stockport and I thought right well if I can't get into the youth team yeah I'm gonna let Jake Jake can have yeah. this one you know and, and he was leagues ahead of me in terms of talent he was always growing up and and you know it was I, I just realized my level. I realized, you know, yeah. this isn't this isn't something I'm going to give my whole life to. I still enjoy football with with the career I have now. It's not something I play regularly because of risk of injury. But you know, it, it, I sort of had to make that decision. And I was really lucky at the sixth form that I went to at Aquinas in Stockport. We had a fantastic, fantastic vocal coach there called Brian Smith Walters. And Brian is the reason I sort of right started seriously thinking about going into musical theatre. Went to Aquinas theater. College, and what sort of classes were you doing? then within the what was it was it music was it so i was yeah so i was doing my a-levels i did straight a-levels um rather than i know a lot of people at aquinas did b-tech acting they had a fantastic b-tech acting um department there or or, you know arts department there um but i was doing maths pe psychology and then the only performance that i was doing for my a-levels was performance studies which rather than wasn't quite musical theater but we covered music dance and acting so as opposed to actually studying them all together we studied them very much in separate, you know, so for music, we'd look at bands like the Beatles and Muse and study right. their, the, you know, the backgrounds. And then in, uh, we did some Matthew Bourne in dance and Akram Khan and then acting with Pinter, Churchill, these sort of different mm-hmm. people. So it was very much the greats, really, split into three. why absolutely. they were great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we looked at different, different things of all three arts rather than actually 
putting them all together. Mm. And so it wasn't musical theatre training, but it was performance training. So it was actually, so whilst I was doing that for my A-levels, I, I just auditioned for the, again, as I say, I was at a new college, didn't really know anyone there. It was, we'd say we joined in September and then they were doing a musical at Christmas. And I thought, you know what, I'll go and audition for that. Give me something to do. Had you ever done anything like that before? Had you ever been like Pantos, Amdram, like anything Not like Amdram, no, not really. I'd done, I'd been to a, an acting school um, doing straight acting for a while. When I was much, much younger, probably sort of year seven, year eight, I had a fantastic drama teacher, uh, Mary Rose Swarbrick at one of my former school, Stonyhurst College. And she ran her own sort of family business, or, or no, family, you know, drama school that I was part of, where we did sort of a, a Christmas show once a year or a summer school once mm-hmm. a year. So we'd, we'd do a, a, a panto style show but again didn't take it seriously it was very much a social I, and I took it seriously when I was performing but I didn't think of it as a career right. at all right. I thought performing was something that you know you did for fun and, and then you go back to your real job sort yeah, of thing. yeah you know yeah. what I mean and it was only sort of Brian at Aquinas who sort of said I say I auditioned for they were doing a little shop of horrors at um, Aquinas and I auditioned just to have something to do, expecting I'll get a bit in the ensemble. Um, I was a first year and only the, the second year, uh, sixth form has usually got the lead roles, that sort of thing. And I ended up getting cast as Seymour, who's the, the lead, the leading man in that show. And I sort of thought, oh, hang on a minute, I've actually got a bit of work to do here. And Brian sort of took me under his wing and said, right. you could really, you know, you could take this seriously if you wanted to. If this is something you're serious about, I really think you could you could go ahead and do it. And I remember my speaking to my mom and dad and sort of saying, oh, Brian thinks I can be an actor. And, and, and then being like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like we've heard this story. Like we, right. we know how many people fail in musical theater. Like you go and you'll, you'll end up auditioning for 10 years and never getting anywhere and all this. So I remember them having a conversation. I remember it vividly, actually. My mom had a conversation with Brian. She, we, they met for a coffee in Starbucks in Deansgate. And she sort of said to him, like, be honest with me. Is this is this a real? You think this could really happen? And, yeah. and Brian said he was flat out honest and said, "Yeah, no, Jackie, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not bullying you. Here. I, I really think Dom's got a chance at this." So then we looked at drama school auditions, and fast forward nine months later, and I was starting at starting at Arts Ed in Chiswick. Wow. So where did you yeah. where did you audition? Was it like I'll just audition as far as I can? Were you, were you yeah like focusing purely on Arts Ed? No, I wasn't. I have to be honest. I'd never even heard of Arts Ed before I looked mm-hmm. into auditioning. I'd never heard of any of the drama schools. The only drama school I had heard of was Lipper in Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, because I had a friend who went there, not to do musical theatre, but um, she was on a course there. So I auditioned at Lipper only because I knew it was there. Um, where else audition? Arts Ed was my first, was actually my first audition that I had scheduled. Then went to Mountview, Erdang, GSA and Lipper. Yeah, they were the, I think I only went to five. I think five was the one because I was quite late to, I'd say I was quite late on auditioning. So there was only a few places that kind of had availability right, left. You right. know what I mean? It was yeah. so, it was really quite fortunate. And uh, as I say, I was very, very, and I, I don't think is. I think there's definitely ability and and uh, talent involved, but I was very fortunate to get in. You know, there's, so, there's you plenty of times of people like who don't. You moving around, like constantly meeting people, did that feel quite natural for you going in to auditions? Because for yeah. me, like auditioning, auditions were like back then, I was like, I, I'm way out of my comfort zone. I froze, like I wasn't very good. It, but it sounds like you were quite good at, at going in and like working your your magic. I, th- I think so. Yeah, I guess I'm, I just had a a knack of sort of turn on the charm a bit. Maybe they just got, yeah. <laughs> maybe that was what impressed them rather than my actual singing ability. Yeah, I, I don't remember ever feeling, I, I'm certainly more nervous at auditions now than I was. Right. Listen, because I know there's a lot more riding on it. Well, I, I certainly have a, a lot more expectation riding on it than mm. I did. I'd say when I was auditioning for drama school, I thought this was just another, you know, it's just a bit of fun. If I get in, I get in. If I don't, I'll go and do, you know, sports or maths at uni, you know, and I, 
and I, I was quite lucky that I didn't have all my eggs in the basket because it meant I was quite calm going into it. You know, I was quite, I'd also never danced before I went to my arts ed audition. So that was nerve wracking because I was had a pair of tights on and a leotard yeah. top and like, what Tell the hell am I wearing time. here? Like I've got a pair of ballet pumps and what are these? Like, yeah, these I, know. I couldn't believe it, but you quickly get over that. And as I say, and funnily enough, our audition dance was actually two by two from the Book of Mormon. So it was a uh, probably a little turn of turn of fate that that ended up being the literally aligned. Uh, li- that's what I, I know. To my head, like it so funny. Injury to like you know yeah. going around the schools, following your dad to like doing the dance of Book of Mormon, then the injury, then actually Book of yeah. Mormon happens. It's like it's one of those moments where you, if you look at it perspective wise, it's all slotted into place. But at the time, with everything, it does feel like the end of the world, doesn't it? When it these does. things happen, you get yeah. a no from an audition, you don't get a job, you get injured, you get to know you have a bad weekend of eating, like. It, it all seems like the worst thing in the world it at does. the time. It does. I have a little saying that, but my agent always reminds me of, he says, when you're having your down days, you never think you're going to have a good day. Yeah. You, cause you can't get out of that mindset. If when you, you know, when you're feeling down, when you're having a bad day, you can't ever imagine, or when you're ill, you know, you can't ever imagine not being ill. But then you think about when you're having the best day of your life, you can't ever imagine not feeling like the best feeling in the world. But unfortunately it does, you do come down from it. And unlike when you're having your down days, you do come up from them. That's, yeah. that's life. You know, that's the yeah, sort yeah. of the, the, the roller coaster of life as it is sort of thing. Yeah. I remember I once heard someone say like, this too shall pass for everything. Like when you're sky high, yeah, it will pass. Absolutely. And also when you're down, when you're depressed, it, it, it will pass, which is interesting. So like being a student, you got into what said, you, you moved down to London. Was that a big thing for you? Like going to the, as we call it up north, like the big smoke the big from smoke, a little yeah. town in like Whaley Bridge or whatever it was. Like, <laughs> was that, was that big? It was for me. It, it was, it was, it was big because London to me was the, the sort of the one place that I hadn't lived. I have to be honest. It was one of the few places right. in the country I haven't lived before. And it was so much bigger than anything. You know, you, you sort of live, you know, you know, it's like with Manchester, Manchester's in my opinion, yeah. I know people say Birmingham's the, the second city of the UK, but for me, Manchester's everything that London is, yeah. but smaller. Yeah, me too. So I sort of went, well, flipping heck, like bigger than Manchester. And I'm going to be living down there on my own. I've never been before. But I have to say, I think because I'd moved around so much, it was never something that held me back. And that was one of the big things. Um, as I say, I auditioned at Lipper and I quickly realized that I actually wanted to be in London. I realized actually, you know, being up north was, I kind of wanted to get to London. I knew that was where you needed to be right. for the industry, for musical theater and for acting, you know, for, for the world of theater. That is the place to be mm-hmm. um, in the UK. So it, it wasn't a huge, it wasn't a huge challenge to me or a decision to make. Yeah, no, it was it was okay. It was sort of part and parcel of, of what I was going to do, I think. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you slot in quite nicely to what said like you you found a group of friends and kind of were you still connected to your to your family? Or was it kind of like about, you know, those years of your life about experimenting and really seeing what's going on and, and finding yourself? Like I remember my first shop in Sainsbury's, I was like, this is amazing, but what do I buy? Like, you and know, also how expensive is everything? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was. I slotted in. Um, I slotted into Art Said Life very quickly. I have to be honest. And again, I had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. I sort of signed up to this and accepted three years at a drama school course with no idea what I was going to be doing from a day to day basis. Have a plan then. We like. I want to make a, earn a living from this. I want yeah, to be that was in Hollywood. The- I want to be a whatever pop star that was the plan the plan was i want to be able to earn a living from this and it wasn't mm-hmm. i want to be a celebrity it wasn't yeah. i want to become a billionaire it wasn't yeah. that i want to be successful and yeah. successful to me is to be to be working consistently to be to be happy and fulfilled in your work yeah 
um, to sort of, I know this is rich coming from someone who's been in the same show for five years, but to build a breadth of experience from different shows and yeah, try you different are, things. You are doing that now. That's the thing. I'm, I'm ticking one of them off. That's for sure. So yeah. I've, got, I've got a few things left on the bucket list, but yeah. um, you know, that was what success was to me because I think if anyone comes in this industry, particularly this musical theater, maybe film, that's sli- might be slightly different film and screen, but if you come into musical theater wanting to be a millionaire, I think you've got a tough road ahead of you. Because yeah. that's not how it is. That's yeah. not how it works, you know. And doing it for the love, aren't you? Success, yeah, success in terms of financial or awards or anything like that, like that's all a bonus. I think the real success of this industry is to feel fulfilled and, mm. you know, to feel like you're actually, as much as you're putting into it, you're actually getting it out as well. You know, you're getting a, a sense of fulfillment out of it. And you take that from, from the audiences, you take that from your own sort of feedback that you're getting when you're performing and mm. the, you know, the buzz you, you know get when you've had it. a good show, don't you? you know when exactly. you've had a bad show and you you know, the aim is to continuously have it, have a good show, be present. Yeah. The and to continuously grow as well. I think we all strive for this perfection, which I quickly learned when I took over the role of Elder Price, that perfection doesn't exist. Mm. You know, you can't certainly doesn't exist eight shows a week. You can yeah. get as close to it as you want, but you, you know, it's, it's about growing and, and dealing with, dealing with whatever that, that day or that show throws at you. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's certainly, a, that was my, my aim. My aim was to, to sort of make a fulfilling living out of this nice. because also I recognize that it's not going to be forever. I'm not certainly not going to be able to be dancing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It's going to come a point where those, you know, high tenor roles are going to become a baritone role and it's going to, yeah. you know, it's, so you've got it, you know, you absolutely. And then <laughs> one day playing, I'll be playing my dad in the book of Mormon and hopefully yeah. things like that, which, and that's the way it is. So, you know, you've yeah. got to just ride it while you can and make the most of it. Yeah. So three years at Arts Ed, I know, cause I went to Arts Ed as well. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I know what I personally learned for me, drama school was, was massive. Like I wouldn't have learned, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for drama school in terms of like the tools and the stuff that, that I learned really set me up from like who I actually am now. What, what was the biggest thing that you took away from, from drama school? One of the biggest things that I always, I sort of go back to, particularly when people talk about, you know, what advice have you got for, for aspiring uh, performers? And one of the things that is drilled into your arts, and I'm sure you'll remember, is your discipline. And it's something that as much as you can, you can learn all the technique and you can learn how to, to do a double pirouette or you can learn how to, to belt, but if you're not disciplined and, and that's not, I'm not just talking about one of the things that we got <laughs> drilled into us was timekeeping. You know, you couldn't be late or you'd be sent home. Yeah. That's simple. That's, that's a, that's a given. You know, that now isn't a lesson for me. That's just a given. That's right. how it is. But things like your discipline with doing eight shows a week and not getting bored by show seven, doing a 12 month contract and not switching off six months in because you're oh, I'm tired of this now mm. doing, you know, whatever it might be, and, and actually giving it your all and actually saying, I don't, you know, whatever role you're playing, whatever, whatever show you're in, you give that your everything and not being scared to not being scared to look a fool for doing it. And for, for, you know, particularly in the rehearsal process, getting things wrong, you know, being disciplined with yourself that that's okay. That's a learning process. You know, this is a, an, an environment and a safe, you know, a safe environment that you can make mistakes, but, Discipline was huge for me. And I think that's something I have to say. I think that's something that Arts is kind of known for as well. I think for that for that side of, of things. Um, what did discipline g- give you? Like you taught discipline, you're finding discipline useful in, in the show. What do you think that, that does 
for you or for that individual? And I guess that's in any circumstance, isn't it? It doesn't have to just yeah. be performing. I think discipline allows you to get the most out of whatever you do. I think if you're disciplined with yourself, you look at your training plans, you know, the plans we did with, with, mm. with yourself. If you're disciplined, you're giving yourself the best chance to improve. If you, you know, if you take the tools on board and you say, whether you take that from a, a 12-week tra- training plan, whether you take that from a, a ballet class or a singing lesson, if you're disciplined that you want to get out the, be- the most that you can, you're going to, you're going to succeed quicker or you're going to, you know, you're going to improve more mm. or faster or get the results that. that you want. And I think that's a big thing. I think that discipline, you, you sort of, you're giving yourself the best opportunity to, whether you want to look at distractions or whatever it may be, you're sort of giving yourself a real blinkered view of what you want. And it, mm. and it comes down to, am I willing to, to go there? You know, am Absolutely. I willing to, cause yeah. this, cause everyone has a choice. There's you know, so many sayings and memes out there of you're the only person making excuses and, and this sort of thing and that's yeah. that's what it is yeah. you know every, and and don't get me wrong there's talent and there's ability in in, in certain industries in sport theater singing whatever it might be that yeah they come into play but there's a lot of talented people out there there's a lot of people who are just as if not more talented pe- than people on the west yeah. end you're always going to find someone that's more talented yeah. than you, you oh you absolutely are. Like, and everything. as you're saying that i'm now thinking about usain bolt he wasn't the world's fastest man. Like he was still sprinting and he wasn't coming. He, he wasn't ranked. And then he got a different coach, which probably taught them discipline, probably yeah. like worked on techniques and ways, but through discipline, he is now the fastest ever living, you know, absolutely human, human alive. So it's yeah. like there's this talent, but then there's also like honing that talent and the, the discipline and yeah. the phrase, how you do anything is how you do everything is like literally coming to my mind because I don't, I talk about like the way I brush my teeth, like, <laughs> if you're not disciplined and brushing teeth, then taking that into like an audition or like yeah. your reps in the gym, it's it, it obviously all comes down to the discipline really, doesn't it? Because yeah. that's what's made you consistent. There's a couple of things growing up that I, I think back to in terms of discipline. And one of them was when I was a kid and even now, I wasn't allowed to leave the house if I hadn't made my bed in the morning. You know, right. That was something my, my mom drilled into us and it was like, you know, we weren't child labor. It was a case of no, have some discipline every day when you get up, make your bed and start your day right and then you know giving yourself something and then we had something that we did at drama school as well um one of our acting teachers mary knowing every lesson we used to just and it was something simple it was a salutations of the sun or to the sun that you just once at the start of each lesson took us about three minutes but we routinely did it as a way of like i don't care if you don't want to do this you're doing it because wow. it's a routine it's part of your discipline yeah. we're doing this every lesson yes it's going to bring us a bit of focus but also it's something that you're going to have to do every day whether you want to or not like when you're in a show for 12 months that's just how it is. And it's, you know, and it's not drilling it into someone in a, in a negative way. It's just getting those habits of doing something over and over again to the best of your ability. Mm. And that's the one question I get asked doing the show at the moment is how do you do it night after night? Does it not get repetitive? Does it not get boring? And and that's part of the discipline, isn't it? That's part of the job learning is. How, to, really is. how to do that and how to keep it fresh or or sometimes how to go through it whilst resting, but sort of giving, giving your best at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like you getting into Mormon, you said there was quite a funny, interesting story yeah. about that. Do you want to dish the gas? Yeah. So as I say, I going back to the injury that I had um, during type when I was meant to start Titanic. So back in my third year at ArtsEd, I'd auditioned for Mormon um, as pretty much every ArtsEd student did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, particularly the Mormon boys. We're a bunch of Mormons at uh, yeah. said That's how we that's how we we uh yeah. we make them. Stand up straight and smile. But uh yeah exactly. So I'd auditioned for the show. Um they had a, a basically an open casting for Elder Price where the, it wasn't a case of the role was available, but we want to we want to see everyone who we think could potentially play Elder Price. Mm-hmm. 
this was probably about three months before, when did I get injured? Was it um, March time? I think it was around March that I got right. injured. So we're probably talking November time. I auditioned for Mormon, had a couple of rounds, sang some material, went in and, and saw the creatives. Was this from your agent or was this like a total open? <clears throat> through, thing you were- so, sorry, yeah, through my agent. So um, not an open, sorry, not an open call as in mm-hmm. sort of everyone coming down. It was a call. So rather than a specific for, for all the Mormons, <clears throat> it was just uh, just the role of Elder Price. And as I say, not, not even for a certain contract, just to see who was around mm-hmm. for whenever cast change happened um so i went into that had it say had about maybe three rounds um the last one was with um with all the creators all the casting team and garofino from from the states all those guys and it was filmed you know they as they do with the final call it was filmed effectively got some nice feedback they said listen we like what you did we thought you did a great job but the guy who's playing the role at the moment kj even still kj staying on for another year so thank you but you know, maybe we'll consider in the future. There's basically nothing for you now, but thanks for coming in. And I was like, great, fine, whatever. You know, what are the nice ways to get a no from a job? I think we've all had worse ways that we've been rejected. Um, so then we fast forward to March when I got injured. I was doing my rehab and then six months on into my rehab. So again, this is probably August time. I was coming home from the gym. I was up in, with, now my family had then moved to, from Newcastle to Derbyshire. So we're in Derbyshire and I was driving home from the gym having done some rehab. At this point, I was much more mobile. I, you know, was was on the bike every day and, and squatting a bit more now and that sort of thing. So I was definitely getting my mobility back. Wasn't quite there. Probably had another month left of, of rehab until I could sort of be signed off, so to speak. And I was driving back from the gym and I got a call off my agent. And so I thought, so I was put him on hands-free in the car and I said, hey, how's it going? What's, you know, he said, where are you? I was like, oh, I'm just driving home from the gym. He's like, okay, pull over. I was like, what? <laughs> So pull over. I need, to, I need to, yeah, I pull over. I need to talk to you about something. I was like, okay, fine. So I pulled into a lay-by, whatever, whatever. And Sydney was in the car next to me. We both in the gym. Sydney was sat next to me like, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? And my agent just said, right, I need you to come down to London on Monday. And I was like, right, why? So you got an audition for Mormon. I was like, oh, okay. Are they, are they, have they now got a, a role? I'm like, no, no, there's not a role. You've got the job, but they just want to check that you've not changed since they last saw you. And I was like, wait, what job? I've got what job? He says, you've been offered the role of standby on Broadway. And I'm we're talking, we're talking coming eight, up my spine because it's a life-changing moment. For honestly, someone, isn't it? I was sat in the car on the side of a road in, in um, Ashbourne on the verge of tears. I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't auditioned for this show. For, I've not, never mind not auditioned for this show, this show. I've not sang for nine months. You know, I've been doing purely, I say your mindset completely switches to rehab. Yeah. So he says, yeah, basically from the tapes that you've got, with, he's like, I've not told you because I didn't want to get you um, get you overly excited or anything, but he'd been working in the background and it, it'd been discussed when it first happened that this was on the cards and they wanted to take me over to Broadway to be a standby. Now I know, I didn't know at this point, now I know it was kind of to train me up to then take over the role back here. Right, but at that point, okay. that, wasn't, that wasn't being discussed. It was a case of... How old were you at this point? Um, probably, I think I was, I probably had just turned 21. Maybe just 21, going just over to New York to Broadway. Did you know yeah. at this time you were the first ever English person to play that part? Didn't have a clue. At this no. point, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just like, are you joking? You know, and it wasn't even, a, and my mind didn't even go to, am I accepting it? My mind was like, I'm going. Yeah. It's, it's happening. It's it's done. It's it's a yeah. done deal. And and I'd say, so this was on um, the end of one week and I came down to London on Monday, met Steve Bebout, who's the associate director in the States. 
Steve had flown over. And again, at this point, I didn't really know what was going on. And I thought, okay, are they seeing other people? Is it a case of it's between me and a couple of other lads? And Steve just flat out said, yeah, great. I'm just here to check that nothing's changed, that we still like you, what you do. Um, and the job's yours. You know, like the, the contract's ready to go. We just need to check that this is okay. And it was basically calling to check. My agent had knew that my rehab was going well. He knew that I had a few weeks left in my rehab. And it was effectively, if this goes well, you fly out to New York in three weeks. Wow. So I you say it all happened so so quickly. Um I think Did Sid was the family were good about that. They were Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't it, believe it. It took a few months really for me to turn to Sid and apologize because I said, I have to be honest, I didn't even think to ask if it was okay. Mm. And she's like, Of course you didn't. And yeah, I would yeah. never have dreamed of stopping you. You know, and, and it, it was one of those that I remember I didn't tell my parents that I was going down for the audition. That is one thing. I did not tell them why I was going. And they obviously knew that I had an audition because I was singing in the shower every day and right. warming up and doing that sort of stuff and, and whatnot. Um, but I was staying with them in Derbyshire. And as I said, I went down to London on the Monday, did the audition. I was in there for about an hour, d- did some work on, on the material. Um, and then as soon as I was done, I, I Went over to my agent's office, A, to see him, because I'd not seen my agent and, and the team for a, for a while, because I'd been up north. And as I was in there, he said, I can't wait any longer. I'm going to call them. So we, call, we called the producers and said, you know, what do you think? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's happening. Like, we'll wow. send the contracts through now. So it all happened so fast. I had to sign visa documents and all sorts of contracts to make sure it could happen quickly. And, and yeah, I say, looking back, it doesn't seem real. Like, it yeah. really doesn't seem real that it happened that way. Yeah. Oh, honestly, the way it all worked out. And again, you look at turn of fates. If I'd have, if I'd have taken Titanic or no, if I'd have done Titanic, who knows where I would have gone at this point, I'd actually signed a contract to do Panto up in Newcastle, um, the, the, the Christmas. So thankfully the Panto were, were, were really great. Michael Harris. I'll pay you guys. Don't They're worry. Like, I'll listen, pay to get out of it. You can go, like you can go and do this. We absolutely get this. Um, this is quite the opportunity that you can't really turn down. But also like, so they like discipline, you could have gone over to New York and you were, you were young. You, you could have partied. You could have like not done your job. And then you wouldn't yeah. be here now in the West End. Like now what yeah. you know, you know, you're going over there for them to train you to come back here, but you, you could have not been disciplined. Yeah. And like, you wouldn't been here. So like, Absolutely. Going over there, you're still there to, there to do a job. And like, that's kudos to you as well. Yeah, that was what was tricky. I think that's what, what made, that's the only thing that made my, my time out in New York, um, looking back, it's the only sort of negative I take from it, that I didn't enjoy New, New York right. more. And that's not, a, that's not to say I had a, a crap time and didn't enjoy living out there. It was phenomenal. But all that is to say is, you know, I wasn't going out partying. I wasn't because I was working. I was the there to work. As well, you know? though, like, oh, yeah. Same with like fitness goals. You, you had a goal and a vision and... Absolutely. Trying to see that through. Yeah. And it quickly became clear that um, I think six months into my contract, so I, initially I signed on for six months. They must have had in mind that that was going to be the time that I was on for. Mm-hmm. Um, then they'd bring me over. And again, at that point, the guy playing at Elder Prize in London stayed on for another year. So it's kind of like, we're going to keep you for longer on Broadway, which I was like, fine by me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's absolutely nice. fine. Listen, I'm, I want to play the role and I want to be doing it, but that's fine. I'm happy to live out here for another year. But it was my mindset. I, listen, if you look at, my life in New York and as exciting as it could have been, it really wasn't as exciting as it you might think mm. because I lived on my own in the middle of in the middle of Manhattan, which was fantastic. I loved it. I had a great apartment on Seventh um, Avenue and Fifty Third Street, um, so I was right in the heart of it all. But my day consisted of getting up, going to the gym, maybe doing a bit of shopping or having some food before the show, sitting in a standby room for two hours, mm. and coming home. 
because I, you know, I, I had a group of mates from the show out there, but I didn't have a, you know, a, a life in New York, so to speak. I'd never even been to the place before I moved out there. Um, and it really was a focus. My focus was the show. The, the, my life was the show. That's why I was there. And that, that might seem really narrow minded, but it was what I wanted to be there for, you know, and, mm-hmm. and listen, I had a great time. I'm not saying it was, it was boring. It wasn't for me. I loved it. But in terms of like, say when, when people think of, of going to New York and what that might have involved, it, it wasn't that. And it was very much a, a working mentality because I also knew what I needed, how, you know, how ready I needed to be for the show. So whilst I, you know, when I was a standby, that means obviously for those who don't know, I was on, I was in the building every night, but wasn't doing the show. I was just waiting in case mm-hmm. Elder Price ever went off ill or injured yeah. or on holiday, but I'd sing through the show twice a week. You know, I'd go and and use the, the musical director's dressing room and go and sing through. I'd go through often harder, scenes. isn't it? Because you're not as, pr- yeah. you're not as practiced and you have to be, you have to be go. game ready. Yeah. yeah. You have to be game ready. And I, I quickly realized that because my first show, so at this point, this is my professional debut, my, no, never mind my Broadway debut. It was the first <laughs> yeah. professional show I'd ever on done in Broadway my life. On Broadway as the lead. On, on Broadway as Elder Price in the Book of Mormon. And it happened in act two. I only did half a show. I got thrown on mid-show. Um, so the adrenaline, I don't think I've ever felt anything like it. I woke up the next day thinking I'd been hit by a train. I was just exhausted from, I know that only done half the show. Um, and it quickly made me realize you have to be ready at the drop of a hat. You have to be ready to go oh, go from zero to a hundred, you know, the level that they expect in well, in Mormon here and on Broadway, <clears throat> but the level expected on, you know, to work on a Broadway show is, is phenomenal. You know, is they, it different they, to West End? Not in terms of the, this level of standards. Um, I don't think, I, I think I've got to give credit to the, to the West End company. I'd say I, I, I half expected it to be maybe naively sort of, because <clears throat> I'm from the know, UK. Are you? You don't, yeah, you no, don't I'd know. never done a West End show. I'd yeah. never done a West End show. I didn't know what to expect. And you always have this idea that Broadway is, you know, the, the West End's kind of like Broadway's little brother. In, in, but the talent that we have in the UK is remarkable for mm-hmm. such a small net of, you know, yeah. if you think about the actual populace of performers that we have to choose from compared to, to Broadway, you know, they've got the, I think, you know, there's probably as many performers in the UK as there is in, in Manhattan. Yeah. So, you know, and you think they've got the whole country to, to choose from, but this, the only thing that different, I think the industry is different over there. The industry has, um, I don't know how to say this without maybe offending some of our fan bases, but I think the sort of the fan bases over on, on Broadway are, they're diehard, like diehard yeah. theater fans. Like people <laughs> save up for two years to come and have a weekend in New York to go and see a show. And I know that's similar over here. We have people who love the idea, you know, from up north, it's a it's a big event to go to the theatre. For but, one, the ticket prices are so much more, yeah. aren't they? So you almost yeah. uh, you, you idealise it in a, in a different way, maybe. You know, I yeah. remember when I went to Broadway and the tickets for Aladdin are about two three hundred dollars, I think, for a ticket. Yeah. Like it was crazy. crazy. I remember the the when I was out there, Hamilton had just opened, and even cast rate tickets for that were two hundred dollars. And I mm-hmm. saw Dear Evan Hansen before it won all the Tonys, and that was. $250 and all this yeah. thing. You go, Jesus Christ. It's like a this, different yeah. beast in itself. It is. From a business it perspective, it's, yeah. it's, it's different. You've still got ultra talented people in both, but it's... Absolutely. And I think that's the only... The yeah, that's the only thing that I would be able to pick out. And I guess one one thing which which is we're really fortunate over here is we we really take a chance on on graduates and young performers, whereas on Broadway, it takes you... I think again, I'm quite lucky to be an anomaly of this this trend, but it takes people years to get there. And it really does. And once they're there, they don't leave because they don't want it. You know, they know how how beneficial it is. You know, things like your um, we're we're all aware of the the healthcare system in the states and how expensive that can be. 
And if you're a member of equity in the States, your healthcare is covered, your family healthcare is covered, you know, and, and things like that. The incentives to be an equity cardholder and to be working on Broadway, you know, I'd say take away the financial benefits of, of working in a Broadway show are huge, you know, so, and the way it works with their equities over there is it's slightly different. So principal contracts are yearly. They're sort of a, a 12 month contract to sort of, they can, you know, you can stay on if, if they want you and if you want to, but you are on a 12 month contract. Whereas the ensemble members of Broadway shows, your contract is effectively open-ended. You're not signed off 12 months. You're signed on until either you want to leave Wow. The show would have to have a reason to dismiss you. You know, you'd have to be a sackable offence or the show closes. Otherwise, you're in that show until you want to leave, which is why shows like Chicago, even Mormon now, Mormon's been open yesterday. They celebrated 4,000 uh, 4, shows. I think they're 11, 12 years from opening. There's still original cast members in it because it's, A, it's the comfort. A, they love it. Don't get me wrong. They love the show. Yeah, I think you have to. I think no matter, no financial security could keep you in a show if you hated it every night. Mm -hmm. But the security of working on, on a Broadway show is so huge that people stay in the shows. And I think there's, there's stories of it. And unfortunately there's a, there's a tragic story recently of someone who, who's um, who, who died whilst in one of the shows, um, but had been in that show since it opened. And, and that, we're talking 30 years. Wow. You know, Part since I, I can't room. remember which, yeah, I think it was Phantom. And one of the company members have been, you know, they, they, some of them have been in it for years and years. And that's not just company, you know, the, the people working in the theatre, the, the crew, the technicians, the musicians, all that sort of thing. So it is a different You're beast a in that regard. Job life, aren't you? Essentially, because it's quite Absolutely. fast paced for us over here because you're going yeah. into different shows, meeting different people over there. It's it's kind of like you would expect for people in in you know quote normal jobs. Yeah, you sort of nine to fives. No, it is. It really is, and and that's that's actually an interesting way that my mindset has shifted. And I mentioned earlier that I'd always seen theatre as a hobby that you sort of you did, and then you went back to your your normal life, so so to speak. That's that's the one big shift which I think discipline comes into it as well. This is our job, you know, and that's what I think people who aren't in this industry struggle sometimes to, to understand that even people who are in this industry who have different ideas of how they want their job and their career to go. But this is our job. You know, this is what we we are paid to do. It. This pays our bills. This pays our mortgage, you know, and our rent. And, you know, that's that's the the crux of it. So there's, there's certain decisions that people make that you might go, oh, that's a strange one. You know, I'm sure many people look at me still in the Book of Mormon after five years and in West End for three years and go, oh, why is he still in that job? But it's my job and I love it. Yeah. And I love doing it and I'm, I'm fulfilled from doing it each day. So, and you can be fulfilled because you've worked on that discipline, like that, yeah. that basic foundation. If you didn't Absolutely. have that, you might get bored. You might yeah. not know how to take notes or, or whatever it is. But, you know, and it's also important that, that I do have a life outside of theatre now, yes. where, where I say when I was in New York, I didn't. <laughs> but yeah. now I have a bit of a life that I can yeah, yeah. enjoy alongside of it as well. And what so, what does that mean? For you, like you mentioned before, when we were having a chat, like family's a big thing. Yeah. Life outside of work is is a big thing for you. Because when I was young, I would get all consumed by the show, and they'd be my friends, and yeah. I'd be like, oh, I want, I like getting a new show because they become like my family. Now mm -hmm. it's it's different. Actually, my life is 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 very is very very important to me. It is, and I think it has to be. I've I've realised both through my own career, and my partner's career, sitting's an actor as well, um, much more on the screen side of things. But I've I've really realised that. There's going to be times in your career where you're not working and that's normal. That's not a failure. That's life. That is life as an actor. And it is so vital for your, for your well-being that you have 
a life outside of theatre or, or acting, whatever it may be, performing. Because it's, as I say, it's not forever. It's also not the be all and end all. Like it's very fulfilling, but we're not saving lives. You know, there's someone else who could do our job if we were to leave it. And that's both a good part and a bad part of the industry that we are kind of dispensable in that regard. Mm. Um, but it's so important that you you can find fulfillment from elsewhere. I really struggled in my first year at the Book of Mormon um, in the West End when I started playing the role that I didn't have a life. I really didn't. And it got to the point where I actually got into a mentally into a really bad place where I was burnt out. I had no outlet from the show and it actually came to a point I ended up, you know, the surgery I had four years ago and was really successful at the time, but then tore again on stage when I, so I right. tore my cartilage again on stage um, and that's now been removed. So it won't happen again, thankfully. Um, but I got injured um, and was out for six weeks and it meant that I had to stop. It meant I had to, I had to stop. I had to reevaluate what was important to me and I had to stop living in this little bubble of, Elder Price was the only thing that mattered to me because was it, that was was that a case of like nervous to do anything out else like trying mm-hmm. to protect your voice, trying to protect your your energy because I've yeah. you know, I've witnessed that as well. Absolutely. People think that you go in for a one show day, maybe three or four hours, but actually <sighs> your night sleep, your your whole day is preparing up to that. Yeah. Especially if you've got huge things like 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 you have, it consumes your whole day. It really does. You, you you end up thinking about every micro part of your day like you say how much sleep am I getting you, you go to bed you look at your clock and say okay well if I go to sleep now I've got x amount of hours before I have to wake up then you look at what I'm eating in the morning then you look at well I can't go to the gym today because what if I'm too tired if I can't do yeah. certainly can't do leg session how dare I think about doing legs because I won't be able to walk <laughs> later or tomorrow yeah. and you quickly it's actually really counterintuitive in that sorry counterproductive in that you actually need to do something to get yourself yeah. going. How do you get out of that space for people that potentially have been there or yeah. been there at the moment? God, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I, was, I, was, I was talking about this yesterday. One of the things that I did is I actually was, I was having therapy at the time um, for some, I said, well, mentally in a bit of a low place. And I was really struggling to, to, to split stress from the sort of normal stress to overbearing stress. I couldn't quite grasp that like a little bit of nerves and a little bit of, anxiety toward and a little bit of care for yourself is good but to over to put too much you know bubble wrap around you is actually really not going to help and I remember being like I don't actually want to see a therapist because I don't want to talk because I don't want to be talking because I'm tired at the end of the day Mm. and it really really sort of consumed my entire existence that I had to be ready and I ended up getting out of shape because as much as I I say talked about how many calories I burned for a show but I did nothing else because I thought that I couldn't afford, you know, I couldn't physically afford to to give any more to else, elsewhere, which I quickly realized that's not the case. It's actually helpful to get mm-hmm. your body moving in the day yeah. and get yourself going. And, and whilst you're doing eight shows a week of the same show, your body gets used to that. So you stop actually benefiting from burning 1300 calories a day because your body's used to it. Yeah. And actually, and you're probably yeah, you like quite eat. fatigued as well. So then yeah. before you do want to, to eat lots of, lots yeah. of stuff. Into and I was eating badly. Absolutely. I was eating badly because I was, that was sort of my my safety net of like, well, I can afford to eat because I've burned mm-hmm. so many calories. When in fact, yeah. no, you still got to look after yourself. You know, you still you're still effectively a professional athlete for what you do. Like, yeah, it's performing, but the way you have to look after your body is like a professional athlete, if not more, because it is so self disciplined. Rather than you know, we don't have nutritionists or personal trainers on the show like yeah. a football team or like a professional runner might have. They don't have a team around you to do that. You have to mm-hmm. do that yourself. But I think my way of getting out of it is, 
is talking to people. I do think that's a big part. As I say, mentally, it affected me and it got to a point where I was seeking help from psychologists and, and therapists and that's okay. You know, and they were, they were helpful in that, like, this is normal. You know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've been thrown in at the deep end in, in regards of graduating from drama school, jumping up on a plane and going to Broadway and then coming back and, and being in the role that I was at such a young age. And it's, it's tough, you know, I won't, and I won't sort of deny that and say, yeah, it's great. I, I dealt with it really well. I really didn't. And I think if anyone was, you know, people who worked with me or knew me in the, that first year of my contract, I did not deal with it well. And I, and I, I can sort of hold my hands up now and thankfully having come out the other end of it, say that. But it takes time. You've got to be kind with yourself that it's okay to, to be struggling, but finding those avenues that, that help you get out of it. I found that exercise is a huge one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, a bit of mental support was, was helpful for me. I say family life and, and building a life outside of work is also yeah. vital. You know, I've, I, I took up playing golf because I love being outside and being in the fresh air. And even if I'm playing on my own, it's like three hours outside in, in the yeah. sunshine. Hopefully I try and avoid the rain because it's just, I, I, I blame my poor play on the rain, but it's just because I'm not very good. But uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's nice to be outside in, in in good weather and and freeing your mind, things like that, going for runs. I think in the lockdown, that made me realise how much I missed being outside and walking and running and, and that sort of thing. And it's The little things, isn't it? Like I say yeah. to, to my clients, like, you have to have hobbies. You have to have things that you that you absolutely love, whether it's like going for a coffee, like finding new, new beer or whatever it is. I, I think yeah. those things are like what life is about. And I yeah. found that in, in COVID. I was like, it's it's the little things that, that yeah. really make um, an impact. And like since doing the show for me, like actually family life, life outside of the show is actually what I what I live for. You know? Yeah. And that exactly. that's not not been the case for me. And I'm we've both got the same singing teacher. And I remember I when I was doing Jersey Boys and I was on I was understudy Bob Gordio and I was struggling thinking about singing all the time because it's not naturally my forte. And I remember yeah. him saying to to me, Mark, just try doing it without think thinking about it. Like yeah. be willing to fail. Be willing yeah, to crack. Absolutely. And actually like what that does for the for the for the body and it you have trust that actually I can go on, you know, let's just say autopilot or my body can sing that, that note and that paired with having things outside the show is is potentially how you, you yeah. can build a life outside of an all-consuming show or, or part. Yeah, you've really got to try and enjoy it. That was something that I, I talked about with Mark um, because vocally was was something that I, I had stress about. Uh, you know, when when a show is as vocally demanding as as mine is, that is part. You know, I, I don't have to worry about too much dance in my in my role. Acting wise, I is. Funnily enough, not something I've I've had much anxiety about because I don't think I think vocally we feel we feel a real connection with with as singers that our voices are our instrument and our our job effectively. So we put so much stress into it. But like you say, you know you're capable of doing it. You body like you don't wake up one day and suddenly s- stop being able to sing. That doesn't happen. Yeah, we have days where you're not quite feeling. You know, you might have a bit of a cold or at the minute you've got hay fever to worry about. You might have, of course there's things to worry about, but your body can do this. You've done it countless times. Like mm-hmm. you've proven to yourself you can do this. And and I remember speaking to Mark and the conversation that we had was he, he told me to, to get myself a little notebook and after each show, write one thing that I enjoyed about the show. One mm-hmm. thing, one moment that you enjoyed in, in that show. And that I'm sure you could take that in, in your day, in your workouts, in your, you know, really your like a date that you might go on. One, just pick one thing that you mm-hmm. go, yeah, that, that made me happy time because that was my problem. In my first year, I was stressing about every moment, so I never enjoyed any of it. Right. I used to say, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying doing this. He said, well, you are. 
you just your, your mind is covering what you're enjoying by the stresses that you're having and listen you're still going to stress about things but if you can pick out something that you're enjoying it gives your mind something to focus on and something to go yeah well there's a positive there that i can reach and then the next day you've you know it's something else and then you've got two things that you've enjoyed then you find by the end of the week you've got seven different things that you go hang on a minute, I've got seven things to enjoy mm-hmm. in the show here rather than the hundred things that I wasn't enjoying because I was yeah. worried about. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing to look for, like say, looking for those moments of, of gratitude. I mean, it's like, like a golden hour or, a, you know, a, a thing that you have that you have to look forward to. That was a, a big thing. I've, I recently just completed a, a mental health first aid course. One of the things that we talked about on that and and whilst, yes, it's helpful to, to be a supporter for someone with a mental health crisis, but also for you, yourself personally is, finding something that you can look forward to that you know that makes me happy yeah and that you can sort of come back to that whether you're on a down day or if you just want like a nice day like today one of the things for me i love an iced coffee like a yeah. a, a sweet iced coffee yeah what a perfect little moment to have today in the, in this sunshine and go yeah that's going to give me a boost going into work that i'm going to enjoy that and you know so that was one thing that we were told to focus on each each session that we have a two a week and it was each session bring a golden moment or a golden hour that you've had this week and i think they're vital i love that and that actually from a scientific point of view like a human's brain clings on to the negative and and the fear far more like studies have yeah. shown that so you actually have to train the brain to go like you know it's so I have many consultation calls with performers about, about coming on in fitness. It's, it's amazing how their brain goes to like, oh no, but what if I fail? What if I lose mm-hmm. out on money? What if I can't, you know, it's like, well, well what if this, what if actually yeah. you, you completely change your life? Like, yeah. and I think that's, that's for everyone. Like you have to train yourself to focus on that, that, that positive rather than the negative, because we're just geared towards, I think it's from like cavemen, like, fight or flight mode anxiety and like yeah. you just want to focus on the fear instead like of the, survival, the opposite. survival instinct yeah so i yeah, think that's, that's amazing what what you said there in terms of like rituals because i guess that's a ritual do you have any other like rituals before or after shows that you like ha- have to do for your for your physical mental state yes uh i guess it's i guess it's part of a ritual after the show i always i always do a cool down physical and vocal i'll always have a, do some stretches in my dressing room and then i'll do a, a vocal cool down which is one thing that we never we never really talk about as singers, and it, I, I, now that I do it, I don't know why it's not talked about more. Because you know, if you do a workout, if you play a football yeah. match, whatever, you always cool down because yeah. your voice is a muscle, and if you've you've worked that muscle and you work the muscles around him, you, your larynx and your everything that you, you're working when you're singing, you've got to you've got to loosen those back down. You've got to bring it you know bring it back cool to to a, a neutral level, so that when you wake up the next day, it's not stiff, and and just that you know just as as you would physically vocal, you know, that's a, that's a big, big part for me. I do after every show, um, rituals for the show. I'm not a very superstitious person, but I not particularly, but I am a little, I'm a a creature of habit. So I have things that I do at the same time each day, not as a superstition. You know, it's not one of those, if I didn't do it, I'd freak out and I'd I'd have a meltdown, but you know, I, I, I get ready at the same time. I brush my teeth at the same time and that, that sort of thing. But that, I think that just comes from doing the same thing every day. It yeah. just becomes a habit. But in terms of rituals, not really. One of the, one of the little things I do, uh, which always makes the, the people in the wings laugh, is I have a little ritual behind it. Anyone who's seen the show, I'm behind the curtain at the top of the show. So I'm, <clears throat> whilst the introduction's happening, while the, the overture's going on, I'm stood on stage, just waiting behind a curtain. And I have this little like dance routine that I do. And it's just a case of, okay, bring yourself into the moment. It makes me smile, which is what I need for the top of the show. I need a big smile. So I do this little silly dance and move my hips around. Um, but uh, but that's, uh, that's a little ritual I have on stage 
nice. uh, which I enjoy doing. And again, if I didn't do it, I'd probably freak myself out and I'd forget my first line because I'm not doing my ritual. But it's just a habit. It's just yeah, a yeah. habit. And I enjoy doing it and have little interactions with the, the people in the wings. So is there anything that's like yeah. when like um, family or other people that aren't in the business come watch, they're like, oh, tell us like, has anything gone wrong? Like, is there been any, and I wrong. find myself yeah. now going like for you, is there any like funny stories that you can share? Like, is anything like gone dramatically wrong? There's, there's so much, listen, you know what it's like doing the live theater every night, eight shows a week, stuff happens every day. And yeah. I think there's things that we don't notice, certainly the audience wouldn't notice have gone wrong. Yeah. We notice because of, say we, we do it every night in any little, you know, someone coughs in the audience and you think, what was that? That was weird. That was interesting. Yeah. But um, there's not been, I have to say, there's not been too many major mishaps. One of the funny stories that I, I like to tell is that uh, during the show, um, there's a number called All American Profit, which is like my my one, I guess it's a dance number in that it's, it's a bit of a, a kind of a, a pastiche on the Harold Hill trouble from a music man. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> like a, a sort of Mormon white boy rap um, with a bit of um, the Brady Bunch dancing going on in there. On top of that number, I sort of take a couple of cues off the Ugandan villages that I'm, I'm talking to, I, you know, going and spreading the word of, of the Book of Mormon. And one of the characters gives me my cue line for the top of the show. And one day, the rest of the girl who was on for the, the role that gives me my cue line, I, I said my line, expected her to respond. So I'm not facing her at this point. And and I said my line to Nabalungi and she, from behind me, says the cue line and just nothing. Didn't say anything. I was like, okay, I'll give it a second. Nope, still nothing. I turned around, looked, looked at her dead in the eye, like, it's your line. And she just deadpan looked me back. Just was <laughs> just completely forgot it was her line. We've so I there. was fluffing around going, well, you know, uh, trying to think of how I could worm it back into the top of the song and try and give it a cue line. And she was just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, this isn't the line. What are you saying? So I ended up just turning to the conductor. Um, and then she just turned to me and said, you know what? Let's just sing. <laughs> I just like started off the song and luckily he was watching me and was like oh okay so it ding gave me the, the the first note of the song and I just went into it I was like I don't know how to get out of this I've tried fumble my way through it you know what let's just sing like you said no one knows the audience no one know. knows that. those moments we live not. for and will go down but everyone else on stage is just like what is going on right now and this was about three years ago and that's still one of my favorite things that's happened on stage because again yeah. in terms of watching it no one would have realized but yeah. we love it we love yeah. it when stuff like that happens they're, yeah they're yeah. laughing aren't they um for anyone like who's auditioned now who's like really struggling to audition can't find like rhythm momentum or flow like what are three bits of advice you could give to people who are really struggling with auditions like i've been through those moments where it's just like ah nothing's coming yeah. off like i think the first big thing is practice even if you haven't got an audition practice auditioning i know that might sound really stupid but we all know people in the industry we've all got mates we've all got you know if you're looking enough to have an agent there is thousands of audition pieces out there whether it's a scene for a tv show whether it's an audition song just go and practice it get it recorded mm -hmm. so much of, of um auditioning nowadays as frustrating as it can be is on self-tape get comfortable with performing in your kitchen with a camera in front of your face and giving it a go, even if I say, even if there's nothing for it, send it off to your agent. Say, I've just done this. It's a it's a scene I wanted to have in my repertoire, sort of thing. So, you know, can I have some feedback if you get a second? Or mm, speak to an acting coach and say, listen, I've got this. I want to work on it. Not got anything for it at the minute. It's not for anything particular at the minute, 
but just practice because then when it comes to it, you've got those tools that you've gone like, oh, this helped me last time when I struggled with this part of the scene or this is how I combated having crap light in my living room when I wanted to yeah. film it and that sort of thing. So be so be as prepared as you can be for, for you know, the real thing, so to speak. I'd say that's a that's number one. It's the living room um, stress, isn't it? Like people say, oh, yeah. actually, oh. getting an acting job is actually getting the audition. Like that's where the work yeah. comes in and then the work really is, is, is fun. The show's fun. Oh, yeah. It's actually under an intense amount of pressure when you're in rapid fight or flight. It's as actually an, delivering something that the team can sort of appreciate. Yeah. And they as know an actor, do, don't they? But as an actor, our job is to audition. The reward is the job. <clears throat> you know, when you're working, that's your reward. Your actual job is auditioning. Even when you're in a job, you're auditioning for the next one. Mm. You know, so you got to be good at it. <laughs> and, yeah. Listen, and, yeah, yeah. and there's going to be days you're not good at it. And there's going to be days when you're out of practice, you know, and, and you've got to say, be as prepared as you can be because. You really have, if you get five minutes in an audition room, it's a luxury. Yeah. You know, and if you've got a self-tape, if they watch five seconds of it, you've, it's a luxury. Yeah. So you've got to give them as, as much as you can in, that, in those brief moments that you've got to, to impress. But also with that, I'd say going on to that is, is don't then therefore do something different. I think I, I struggled with it. I've struggled with this in the past where you go into an audition room and you want them to see everything. And in fact, giving everything to that particular scene is not not essential but also not correct you know you're, you're actually going to be doing yourself a disservice because you actually just look too busy you know particularly mm. if it's something for screen like trust your trust your acting ability if it's a you know an acting scene trust your vocal ability that you don't need to be adding tricks you they want to see the real you so be truthful in that um, and also that comes from, and that comes from experience because you've got to have an understanding of what it is you want to give or what yeah. you can give. Um, you know, there's, there's times where I've taken songs into an audition, which are way too high. Like, yeah, I'd like, yeah, yeah, to, wow, like, loads of stories. I've got an audition song, which has a, a top C in it and I've sang it a few times and it's, yeah, you know, there's the odd occasion where the C doesn't come out very well. Most of the time it comes out. Okay. But I don't sing a C regularly. So what, mm. why am I taking that in? Why am I being, you know, I'm that might be impressive, but They'd much rather hear a, a solid G sharp or whatever. They'd much rather hear something solid and in your range than, oh, well, that was kind of a C, I think. Did you get there? I don't know. Like yeah, yeah. sing, you know, do what what you can. Don't don't be trying to trying to be someone else because as we discussed before, there's always someone better than you, or whatever it might be. There might be someone taller than you, which is like what they're looking for. Someone better looking than you. Someone who can sing that one note better than you. Someone who can dance better than you. But take you and be the best version of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, uh, and it's also like, yeah, I think I, I found like, they're not expecting you to be perfect. Are they no, they're expecting you to be not. like, ah, we can work with this. We can mold yeah, this absolutely. bit of clay into whatever we want, you know? Yeah. Like, that was like drama school for me. I think that was what was a big, big part of my success or, you know, being successful at drama school is that I kind of didn't have preconceived idea of what I needed to do. It was a case of being malleable, being open to suggestions, being uh, an active listener to direct direction and sort of taking notes on board. And that's the same with auditioning. You know, you go and give what you can give and be willing to be told, yeah, that's fine, but we want to see this. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. And in the moment you've got to go, oh yeah, sure. You know, don't, don't go learn it. And this is probably, I'll probably come back to this as number three on advice. Don't ever, particularly if you're learning lines, don't learn them to be said a certain way. So don't go in and say, okay, I've got a line reading of how I say, because you might do one, one take of that scene they go actually no no that, that, like that's fine but that's not at all what we want from the scene we actually want him to be laughing the whole way through it and you go oh hang on a minute i've only learned it serious well no let you know be 
be very much open. Be, op- be open to to direction because they will. And whether they whether they actually need you directed or not, they'll want to direct you to see if you can be directed. Yeah. You know, you might do the scene perfectly and they go, well, that was great, but actually let's completely shift it to see if they can really act or if they can yeah. only do that. Yeah, yeah. I've done like an audition where it's like completely like, like do now do it where you, you're a stand-up comedy, comed- uh, comedian, you're trying to make us laugh. It's like, yeah. that's so I'm, weird. I'm they just, you know, about, just want to see if you... Talk about something morbid and you want me to yeah, laugh. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You've got to just be ready. Yeah. So like in terms of like professional, uh, personal life, who who are like inspirations for you? Like who do you sort of look up to, I suppose, like acting wise, like just to be a better version of yourself? Yeah. Like who do you say inspires you? Number one is my dad. My dad has always been my, my, um, my sort of my, my hero, I guess. Um, and I think part of that comes from because I always wanted to emulate his career when I was younger. I wanted to be a footballer. And but as I've grown up, I've, I've, I've sort of realized that football talent aside, it's actually the man that he is that I that you know that I, I idolize the way that he is with mm. with other people, his work ethic. Um, as I say, being in professional sport, like being in professional performance, <clears throat> takes a level of dedication and commitment and hard work and dealing with adversity. I've watched with my own eyes, you know, that happen in a man who I you know and seeing failure and, and dealing with failure, yes. you know. Listen, I'd, I'd love to talk about all the successes of my career and my dad's career, but there's also been crap moments. You know, my dad's been sacked from most jobs as a football manager. Yeah, that's I the do. industry. Yeah. That's what happens. You have, yeah. even if you're successful, when it starts going wrong, you get the sack. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Rightly or wrongly, that is the job. And and you know, I've watched, I've watched that sort of be dealt with. And 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 I say, so he would be my my top idol i think if i look in the industry it's hard to pick a single person i think it's it's, it's probably tricky to pick a single person because yeah. i can look at talented individuals and say pick, i want to emulate their pick, talent don't you and just like yeah oh, you pick some bits. Of that. i could get a bit of that and but also there's few people like that who i actually know you know people might laugh one of the people i idolize is beyonce i think she's one of the most incredible performers yeah, the world's too. ever created Amazing. but i don't know her yeah, she yeah. might be she might be horrible and i'm sure she's not i'm sure she's wonderful in every way but you know what i mean she might be an awful person so i'm not gonna pick someone like that that i idolize so to speak but But she's got those different hats hasn't she like she's got that she knows how to flip the personal into like ah yeah she's called sasha fierce or something absolutely yeah the alter ego yeah definitely i think one of the one of the there's a couple of people that um that i pick out and there's a there's a, a, a an actor in new york that i worked with called tomar wilson and tomar probably doesn't even know this but the effect that he had on me as a performer was huge because of his professionalism. And Tomo was one of the Ugandan villagers in the show and just his professionalism on stage and how he was with people, you know, how he was with me as a, as a 21 year old graduate who's come making his debut on Broadway. I'm sure a lot of people looked at me and said, who is this kid? Like, mm. why, why is he here? Like what's, you know, who is he? But the way that he, uh, and, and listen, he wasn't the only person in the company to do this. The company were phenomenal with me. They were really, really welcoming. But Tomo's work on stage when he wasn't the focus of the scene is something that I've always taken away from my time in New York in that, wow, the work you can do whilst not actually doing anything on stage, you know, in a scene, a scene where you're not the focus, when you're not, maybe don't even have a line, the work that you can do in that regard, I, I always remember um, Tomo being a big influence in that and watching his performance and being like, ah, oh, that's how it's done. And that's, mm. you know, and, and listen, Tom has gone to, to great success elsewhere. He's played Aaron Burr in Hamilton and, and a bunch of different, he's already had a career 
to die for before Mormon. But um, he's always he was one person that I, I remember looking up to. You um, saw something in him that you like. Yeah, I just saw something in. And it's probably wrong of me to only include Tomo because there was a bunch of other people in the show who mm. I could pick out. I could reel them all off now. But I just remember particularly having a a, a real sort of admiration for 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 Tomo's work and, and how he was as a person nice. and a professional in the company. Nice. So like if you've got a few sort of quick fire questions before we round up. Some yeah, go for it. A little bit funny, some some serious. What, what, <laughs> what does health and fitness mean to you? Oh, I'm going to put this in words. Um to me, it is... What impact does it have on you? I was going to say, in terms of the impact, it's, it is the foundation of our careers. I think your, your health and your fitness and, and being the best version of yourself and the most capable version of yourself allows you to be the best singer that you can be, the, the best actor you can be, the best dancer, because you, you have given yourself the best opportunity to perform at the top level. It's that There's final 1%, roles. isn't it? Because we said there's yeah. loads of talented people, so what's going to so make you get... The job because essentially we we are in competition with yeah with, with people when you're in that audition and yeah it, it, it's a job we all need to get paid we all need to put food yeah. on the table so i guess it is that that final one percent isn't it it is it absolutely is but it was, it's also a nice um talking about being a creature of habit it's one of the few things in this world that you can control it's one of the few controllables that you have and i always i always like to think of things that you can control you know and mm. when i talk about things in, in my first year at mormon that i struggled with I worried about stuff that was out of my control. You know, I'd, I'd worry about stuff which A, was none of my business. B, even if it was, it was nothing I could affect. You know, all you can worry about is what you can control. And, and I think health and fitness is, is something that it really, you know, I'm sure a lot of people look at yourself and think, you know, it's not something that's attainable for me. You know, I, I could never look like that. I could never do that. Well, of course you can. Mm. You know, it's something that you can and you can get to the best version of yourself if you're willing to put the work in and if you're willing to put the, the hours and the dedication that you have for your for your health and fitness and 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 having that sort of professionalism to that that string of your bow as well mm. because it is you know whether you like it or not the way the industry is it's it's a very physically demanding industry yeah. and the foundation of it is actually to stay stay safe and not not get injured yeah, not injured staying healthy um, and I'm not saying we all have to have a certain body type. That's not the case. Definitely not. But whatever, whatever, whatever you bring to the room, be the best version of it. And your yeah. health and fitness is a, is a surefire way that you can actually control that. And you I think can recently, you can I've make also um, recently I've also like I think all mine was geared around my career at the start. And actually, since lockdown, I've really realised like actually what it does for every other area of of oh, my yeah. life in terms of like my personality, how I can then like serve other people what it does for my, for my like mood um i mean we were all exercising yeah. over lockdown weren't we and it, it wasn't really to do with our career but it's yeah i think i've learned another side to what it really impact it can really yeah it is one of the, the three big things that i look at in in life and it's sort of a again when you talk about the controllables you, you three things are your your fitness so you, you know how active you are your gym your training your nutrition and then your mental health they're the three things which are the foundations of your well-being. Mm. Um, and I think they're the three things that you can't focus more on one than the other. They all have to be hand in hand yeah. to make sure that you are at your most capable. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and I think that's like where those results really start to, to come and you see the big yeah. impact when they're all working, working, they're working together. Isn't it? It's not like yeah. you just go to the gym and then eat whatever you want, you know, or, yeah. or not have time to yourself. They, they all sort of work 
work together. I, I totally agree with that. Um, yep. If you weren't happy with food at a restaurant, would you leave it or would you complain? Oh, my girlfriend. Tells a lot just... about someone this quick, this question. Yeah. I, I'm going to put my hand up and said, I'd leave it. Mimi, she would complain. I'm want, I'm want to complain if it's something that can be fixed. If it's something that, oh, the, the flavour's just crap, I'd probably grin and bear it. I'd eat it. But if it's something, you know, I've often asked for something and if it's arrived wrong and I said, oh, I actually asked for that. Like, can I get it changed, please? I'm always, I, I, I turn into like, you put teacher voice on, you become as polite as you can. Yeah. But I listen, in the lockdown, I worked in a pub. Um, so I was, I was sort of waiting on staff and people are far ruder than I've ever been to staff about problems. So if you, I think if you go about it the right way, there's no problem in, in, in politely asking for something to be, to be amended <laughs> definitely no problem i think it just said apparently it says something about like your your state of character i was like mm, yeah i definitely yeah like, oh, I don't there's know. personality types isn't there i was i recently read a book called surrounded by idiots which is really aptly named because it basically describes the the, the four main um person they they sort of categorize them in colors so the, the four different colors of personalities and it's a very red behavior it's a very red mentality that i think yeah that's a very I know what I want and I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I think maybe there's a bit of a different colour in there the way that I approach it, but it's a very red sort of, take you know, you know what you want and you take control of the, yeah. 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 Um, what would your friends say about you? My friends say about me? Like um, if you weren't around, would they be like, he's professional, he's funny. He's <laughs> I'd like to think my, my closest group of friends know my loyalty. I think, you know, in, in this industry, it's easy to build a, a broad width of of you know, acquaintances and you might be very close with them. They might be classmates, friends, but for my, for my close knit group of friends, you know, you're talking, you all have maybe a handful of people who you go, yeah, they're my people. I am very loyal to, you know, I, I always try and be sort of selfless in that regard, but also I think they'd, they'd know I'm hardworking and quite mm-hmm. stubborn in that, you know, for myself, I'm very sort of, um, very driven, um, I've already said three. I don't know no, yeah, probably, lovely, how many different lovely. ways of thinking. Yeah, like, like getting, they think, look at sort of a, a stubbornness and um, a go-get attitude. Um, but yeah, can, very loyal to those important to me. Within your life, not necessarily performing, it, it could be, but what what is your biggest failure and what's your biggest success? Biggest failure? Um, I'm thinking, I know with what I know from you, I'm like, ah, oh, has he got a failure? But no, I'm, listen, plenty of failures, plenty of, yeah, I think that's that's the part the the life that we that we live and particularly with social media these days people don't talk about the failures do they but no. i could be here all day talking about all the jobs i haven't got mm-hmm. you know if you want to go down that one of the failures that i probably clung on to way too much because it was a flash in the pan thing but i i auditioned for the for the recent west side story film and listen it was never i was never really in the running or at least i wasn't aware that i was in you know i'm not sort of it wasn't between me and the guy who got Tony who was in, in for it, but I was in for it. And I was, I was really excited to, to have an audition for it. And that didn't happen. And I held on to it for way too long. Yeah, I held yeah. on to it for way Talk, too long. It? I remember watching the film, you know, do you even want to watch this film? And I was like, get yeah. over yourself. Like, yeah. get over yourself. Um, but that was one of the, when I look at sort of failures in, and again, when I'm talking failures, it was a job. It was a, an audition. There's been but countless things I didn't do, get. Like that you can learn from them and they like really yeah. help much more than the success almost don't they yeah you know? i learned from the audition that um if you're not vocally well don't try and push through three songs from west side story because you'll get ill <laughs> so that was one wow. thing i learned from it uh we thankfully i managed to get a bit of extra time because i ended up i spent hours trying to film these songs and i, I had no voice i was ill and i should have just said oh, actually, i'm not not well today 
So I sent a text to my agent and he was like, I don't think we can send these. I was like, I'm not well. He's like, well, I'll try and get an extension. So we got a week extra. And then I sent something I was, I was, what I sent, I was proud of. So it's, you know, fine with that. And, and it ended up not happening. So that's a, that's one of my biggest, biggest failures. Um, away from the industry though, it'd be, it'd be football. It'd be that um, I dreamed my entire life of being a professional footballer. And I think it's only in the last couple of years, really, I've started to unpack that it did actually affect me that and it, right. it did, it did it did hold me back and I did sort of struggle to, I guess I was quite fortunate that I, with the acting, I, I had something else to focus on, but it actually was, you know, it was my life goal and it didn't happen. And there, there's no sort of, I can't make an excuse for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be a professional footballer and that's fine. There's millions yeah. of people out there who also weren't good enough and that's why sure. they're not, that's why we're not yeah. footballers. Yeah. Um, but that was probably one of the biggest things, which I'd say I, I wish I'd have, I wish worked out differently. But then again, looking at where I am now, I don't think I would change it. You know, I think particularly the career I might have had if I'd have been good enough wouldn't have been, you know, I wouldn't have been playing in the Premier League or yeah, you may have even got making millions playing for England. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Uh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I'd probably tore my cottage in my knee and not to retire anyway. So, mm. um, yeah. biggest success or like biggest accomplishment? Hmm. You know, for me, yeah. I, you know, I would, I would say for me, like my biggest accomplishment is is, is buying a house, like. That's, that's a thing yeah. that was on my that was a big thing and, you know me. that was a big thing for me i think another obviously um, yeah. i was really i was really actually pleased with my a level results i know that sounds silly to look back that far as well but i i worked really hard i was i, I was always i have to say i was always quite smart at school i i was I, you know i was a, a capable student and i actually enjoyed school i'm one of the weirdos right. that actually enjoyed going to school um and i didn't really work very hard for my gcses i did okay got a you know um I think in the grand scheme of things, I've got good marks, but I knew I didn't work hard. So in my A-levels, I really decided I actually want to get, I want to do as well as I can here. And um, I was gutted that I was two marks off an A in maths, but otherwise I was, I, I got A's in my A-level and I was wow. really, really chuffed with that. And, you know, because I, because I'd actually, I put the work right. in and I, and I really did sort of, at this point I'd got it, I got into drama school as well. So I kind of knew I didn't really need my A-levels. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Art said it's not one that requires um, qualifications to get in. It's purely on your your, your performance. But I, I decided that, and again, my mom and mom and dad had sort of said to me, "Don't you know? Don't toss this off now because you're going to drama school. Like, we'll we'll quickly not send you to drama school if you if you take take the mick and don't work hard." Right. So I really put my all into it. Um, so when I actually got my results, I was proud to sort of see that the work had been worthwhile. Yeah. The control, the controllable as well, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you knew you could exactly control that. that and you did, you put the work in and, yeah. and you got it. Um, yeah. Takeaway, takeaway of choice. Oh, Thai. Pardon? Thai takeaway. Thai. Thai, wow. Yeah. That. yeah, I love the Thai takeaway. I went to Thailand a couple of years ago and that just solidified the food for me. What, what are you getting? Love it. You go to Thai takeaway. Um, getting a Thai green. Mm. Thai green curry, uh, chicken satay, or satay, satay chicken. I love pad siu, which is like the thick, yeah. the thick noodles. Yeah. Um, but oh, the lot, mate. I could honestly, I'm getting hungry thinking about it. I could this have now. pad thai, I think, for every single meal. Yeah, that's the thing. The problem is, one. I feel like if I get Thai and say it's just Sydney in the flat, I end up ordering three times more than I need because I, I want a bit of everything. So I, I, I love going to a Thai or, if, you know, perfect with, with family and get eight or nine of us run. I'm, I'm very much a put it in the middle and share it sort of thing. I'm not like, uh, who is it? Oh Smithy. My. 
of Gavin and Stacey where he's like, no, no, that's my dish. That's your dish. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm happy to get one of everything and share nice. it. Although I do have to say my favourite restaurant is Dishoom. So, here, here. Yeah. And Lip since Dishoom have started doing takeaway, that's dangerous. What's your, what's your, uh, choice? Chicken Ruby every time. Chicken yeah. Ruby, biryani. Cheese um, naan in there? Cheese naan, yeah. Why not? Why not? Good, isn't it? Why not? And the black doll. And now they have, I know for fitness fanatics, they put they're putting the calories on the menu now. Sometimes you don't want to look at it, but I don't want it. If there's a, it is good to know just quite how much you can have, yeah. um, particularly if you, you're counting. But I love their breakfasts as well, and they've they've started putting the calories on breakfast as well, which has changed my changed my order. <laughs> I don't get a big yeah. Bombay anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting that. Yeah, uh, but no, I love I do love the shoe. Shout out to shoe. Film or theater? Theater to watch. Yeah. To watch. Yeah. I love a film. I like sitting in a theatre and chilling, but yeah, theatre. Life theatre, it's amazing. Two it's more brilliant. questions, then I'm going to let you go. Um, if you could, I asked Rosalie this, if you could sit at a table and have dinner with five people, uh, alive or dead, who would it be? It can be anyone, even if they're not alive. And it doesn't have to be... Someone, I'll tell you what, I was, watching, I was watching something on TV the other day and someone cropped up and I thought, that I'd, no, the Queen. I'll tell you what, the Queen would <laughs> be someone... I'd love to hear the stories that Lizzie's got. That'd be yeah. an interesting, wouldn't it? She's, got, she's heard some um, stuff, hasn't she? Oh, wow. What, what, what a life she's seen. So, I'm not sure I'd want to live it, but what a life that she's seen. Yeah. Um, this is going to cause some raised eyebrows, but I've always been fascinated by um, the, the wars, the world wars, and I studied a lot of um, Nazi Germany at, at, at GCSE level. So I think Hitler... I'd love to sort of pick on. his brains there and sort of go, hang on a minute. Um, that'd be an interesting character. Maybe not with the Queen there, but um, no, that's <laughs> yeah. a bit, I think. So we've got Hitler, the Queen. One of my favourite comedians is Peter Kay. I yeah, think Peter too. Kay would be phenomenal. You'd get them all laughing. You'd get Hitler laugh. laughing yeah, you'd get Hitler going. <laughs> he'd repeat tear him apart. This is a tricky one. Would oh. I want Beyonce there? Because as I say, maybe she's, she's a horrible person. Insane. Great entertainment, but she's she just too unattainable? <laughs> she just is there too much is there too much risk reward there? <clears throat> Go on, let's throw let's throw Beyonce in the mix. Um, cool. We can sit top of the table. I'm leaning towards Michael Jackson from another performance, but I think we've got entertainment covered. Do I want some? Do I want some controversy? Do I want to? You know? Do I want to bring? Comedy, you've got, I've got comedy. The, the got entertainment. The with Hitler, the Queen can overthrow it if things get a little bit nasty. Yeah, I think you know what? I'd want my mom there because Lovely. my mom is such a brilliant storyteller, and by brilliant, I mean awful storyteller. That she just she'd keep you know after a couple of couple of glasses of wine, you couldn't you couldn't shut her up. And she'd be brilliant, and she'd get in the queen. Her and Lizzie'd be chatting Showing at one together. end of the table. Yeah, she'd be knitting it. We we call her we call her Ronnie because of uh, the two Ronnies, the story times that Ronnie Corbett used to sit used to sit on his throne and telling a story. And we, <laughs> we call Jackie Ronnie because she just tells stories like no end. And after a couple of wines, we did the same story three or four times, <laughs> which is brilliant. And Peter K. Yeah, let's put let's put Jackie in there as well. Uh, and last <laughs> question: If you were cooking a dinner for the Prime Minister. What would you cook for them? Fennec. That's well, this is an interesting one because I was like, oh well, do we want do we want to do we want it to be nice or what? what that's we, what I mean. No, um, you can just show off your cooking ability. What if you want. cooking for Boris? Cooking a nice pad Thai. You know what? Oh. I do do a good Thai green. I do, do a good Thai green curry. Um, I'm limited, and Sid's going to listen to this and think you can't cook anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I can. I have a very limited range of recipes that I follow to the letter of the law, <laughs> which I can do. Um, 
I think it'd have to be it'd have to be Ty Green or I'd, I'd end up killing him. But you know, <laughs> I'd probably poison him. I don't know. Maybe that's what people want me to do. Uh, mate, thank you else. so much for for this. I'm sure people. My have, have pleasure. If you want to go and see Dom, you can see Prince of Wales Theatre, is it? That's the West one. End. Prince of Wales Theatre, Leicester week. Square. Eight shows a week. Twice on Friday, twice on Saturday. I do indeed. <laughs> At least I try to. I try to. Thanks for having me, Tom. All Take the best. Care.